0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. And it's a banner day here for us as we are marking seven years of being on air, which still kind of confounds me, but here we are seven years after the fact, 365 Previous episodes, and you 've been for many of you been here with us the whole time. if you haven 't been with us the whole time, you can always go back and listen to the archives over at outsidethewalls dot com uh, I am just absolutely thrilled today we 're kind of getting back to our roots and talking about evangelization and we get to have that conversation today with one of the successors of the apostles. We're talking today with Bishop William A. Walk, who was born and raised in South Bend, Indiana, as the second youngest of 10 children. He was ordained to the priesthood in April of 1994 as a member of the Congregation of Holy Cross and was named the sixth bishop of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee in May of 2017. So Bishop Wach has been there about four years, and we are so thrilled to have you on air today. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me on. This is great. Yes, I've been here for four years. So I think the first three years, solidly, maybe three and a half, I've been reacting and responding to various crises and things in locally and nationally and internationally. Of course, we had some mm-hmm. devastating hurricanes come through our diocese, especially Michael a couple of years ago, and then Sally, and um, some personnel issues. We had a fire in the co Cathedral. We've had um, some early resignations or retirements of some of our priests and and then, oh yeah, a pandemic, so um you know just it's been a it, it was a rough start it's a rough start anyway, just being a bishop that was kind of a new thing for me, but finally, I feel like okay good i I know the place they know me, I love it, love being a priest, and I'm starting to love being a bishop, and now I can write this pastoral letter for the diocese mm-hmm.
0: and you have this pastoral letter called "Share the Gift," which is this lovely uh, introductory treatise to evangelization and really an, an encouraging of the people and a true pastoral style to to embrace this this mission this commission that we have uh, the shared mission uh, this co-responsibility of sharing the gospel of Christ in our specific contexts. And one of the things that you you point out at the very beginning in the opening section that um, <clears throat> I posted this on a couple of evangelization forums that I'm a part of uh, and stood out to me at the very beginning, you recognized and acknowledged <clears throat> this tendency that we have right now in our current environment toward um, towards partisanship, towards division and, and really hyper-polarization. And I love this Idea in this thought experiment of treating evangelization, in many ways, as an antidote to that polarization, um, by basically stepping up and doing what Paul says: I endeavor to know nothing among you but and preach nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. Right, get back to that thing. Find our commonalities, and not only an antidote to our culture, but also an antidote to that desire within us to be hyperpolarized, uh, to focus ourselves on the cross.
1: Absolutely, you know, um, and and I wanted to present it like that—not just as another treatise or another, you know, just kind of reminder of who we are as Catholics, although it is, but just something that also gets people excited. That's why it's short, it's Mm -hmm. readable. First of all, I am not the most academic uh, or erudite uh, bishop in the flock, in the the group, in the College of Bishops, Um, and so it's me. It's basic, but I just wanted to be readable and doable and hopeful. And so, yes, you're right. You know, so many people are walking around today with sad, long faces, or we're closing in on ourselves, just, you know, gathering with our the people who agree with us. Um, and people are actually saying, maybe some of our listeners have said it out loud to other people, where is the hope in the world? Someone just recently said to me, it seems like Satan is winning, which is unbelievable, you know, And and I let them kind of vent for a little while. And then I said, all right, now I'm going to stop you. Satan has lost. He is yeah. a loser. And I'm just saying he's a loser, you know, like teenagers would say that. He has lost. He's been defeated by the blood of Christ on the cross. And um, yes, he's thrashing about. He, he's, he's trying to drag as many souls with him as possible. But because we're baptized, because we have the Holy Spirit, we are more powerful than Satan. And we have to remember that dignity and, and, and that hope and have and recapture. you know, what our Holy Fathers have called the joy of the gospel. And it's not just this pie in the sky. Gosh, I hope there's a heaven. I hope we win in the end. We know how it ends. This ends in glory. And and we need to keep our eyes fixed on that, as Saint Paul said. I'm not there yet, but but my eyes are my eyes are fixed firmly on the kingdom to come. Well, and so that I, to to really convey that in this letter, among other things,
0: and we remind ourselves of that at every single Mass when we proclaim the mystery of faith. Right, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Well, that that the, the, the um that's the old one. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the, the we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. That that is. That's the thing that's coming, right? Until you come again.
1: Um, Absolutely. And one other thing, sorry, but but another thing is, you know, when we pray, um, it's the priest's part of the, we call it the embolism, the the prayer that comes after the Lord's prayer when Mm. when we pray in joyful hope or now blessed hope of the second coming of Christ. You know, I try to emphasize that at every Mass. Sometimes I talk about that. Like, is that, do you really do you know what we're saying? We wait in joyful hope for the coming of the Lord. And so yeah, you're right. Things we're already saying at Mass or praying, we sometimes just gloss over, but we need to kind of remember that this is our faith.
0: Well, and I agree. I've seen and heard the same things that you have of people really almost despairing uh, of the the place that we find ourselves societally and in, in our culture. And what strikes me is um, very similar to what we see in the Old Testament, where you've got uh, David and Goliath, right? The the children of Israel are huddled in fear in the in the valley because they're accepting the terms of war from the foreign power, right? They're they're accepting the idea of success or defeat based on someone else's definition, and it takes David to come out and say, "I'm not going to 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 bind myself to your picture of success or failure," and then of course through the grace of God, he delivers the people. Um, I see as we, we have maybe this overarching despair or fear at what we see happening around us, that we've accepted the view of success and failure from the surrounding culture. Uh, rather than looking to, again, Christ and him crucified and ultimate victory, we're looking at um, loss of, maybe loss of status or loss of uh, uh, cultural ability or maybe loss of some of our our structures or facilities when ultimately it's not about those things. And if we just live our lives as disciples um, seeking first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added.
1: Right. And it's, it's not a matter of either, or you talk about, you know, that's what the culture is really telling us. Either you're for this or you're against this, you're a true Catholic or you're not at all a Catholic, you know, I, I, I mean, there are some obviously very important issues we are, grappling with as a church as a world and I'm not minimizing those in any way but I am saying that as we continue to debate and move forward on these issues that are so dear to us we we have to remember that nothing and no one can ever take that love that we have that, that God has for us you know saint Paul gives us that great treatise on that what can separate us from the love of God. And he mentions things that you would think would separate us, you know, war, violence, famine, nakedness, the sword, not even Satan himself can separate us from the love of God. And remembering that is important because it gives us strength to be able to look at and tackle those issues and to find the truth in in, in all of those things and what, what where God is leading us. So it's not just a matter of setting those aside and saying, oh, let's just pray and everything will be fine. No, life is hard right now. It's very challenging. But this is a way out of it and a way to help us to deal with what everything we're going through. You know, our faith really is, it's not just something, not just another part of our life, but it is absolutely fundamental to our life, of course.
0: When I used to do marriage preparation, one of the things we talked to the couples about often is setting realistic expectations and saying that wherever our expectations differ from reality, frustration is always the result because reality has a way of winning um, when it comes to those expectations. One of the things that you did in your pastoral letter is set the expectation um, regarding Christendom. First, you set up this idea of what Christendom is, the, the, the structure of a society based on Christianity and living that out. Um, and then you set that expectation that following and echoing the, the church uh, documents and the, the popes that have come before us, that that age of Christendom as we have kind of understood it and, and tried to continue on in is really past now. And we have to reclaim that missionary ardor uh, that preceded Christendom in the first place, that, true and, and virtuous life, encountering the Holy Spirit, living through this encounter with God and being his witnesses in the world.
1: Absolutely. You know, when I came here uh, to the diocese, I was getting to know the priests. I, I do something called rounding with them, which means, which, which means that I meet with them every year, one-on-one, about an hour, hour and a half with each one. It's very time consuming, but it's awesome. And um, as I met with the guys here, young and old, I I saw that they were on fire for the faith. We have, I think, I I might might be biased, but I think it's the best diocese in the country or world. But um, there was one young, dynamic priest who said to me early on, he said, Bishop, Christendom is dead. And the first time I I heard that, I'm like, yeah, anyway, what else is going on? And then he said, Bishop, Christendom is dead. And I said, All right, would you please stop saying that right now? you're kind of freaking me out a little bit. Um, but, but, but you know what, then the more that I looked into that, I saw wow, Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Sheen said that in 73. Yeah. Um, and then others have been saying that Pope Emeritus Benedict said that. And then our Holy Father Francis just recently said that um, we've come to the end of Christendom. It's meant to be provocative so that we say, wait a minute, what, what does that mean? Christianity is dead. Absolutely not. That will right. never die. Heaven and earth will pass away, but this church will remain. Um, and, uh, uh, so, but, but what it is to say is, look, we we no longer, for better or for worse, we no longer live in a society that defends and supports and promotes the faith. In fact, they're hostile to it more than likely, and um, and, and and antithetical to it. And so, instead of just wringing our hands, pining for the old days when you know maybe the bishops were more like monarchs, you know, and they were everyone, all the priests were highly regarded and well treated and all that. Instead of saying that, then. Perhaps we ought to say, all right, as you said, what's the new reality? The new reality is, oh, yeah, we're called to evangelize in season and out of season, as St. Paul says, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Well, now it's inconvenient for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but we're still called to evangelize. And in a an, uh, kind of paradoxical way, it's actually not easier, but it's it's better for us to do that now because it, it forces us to really know our faith well so that we can defend it and promote it in the world. Mm-hmm.
0: And Bishop Walk, I love that that picture that St. Paul gives us of preaching the word in season and out of season because it says whether or not you think that seed is going to grow or not, still plant it, right? It, ah. it, whether conventional wisdom says it's the rainy season and things are going to grow, or whether it's winter, we still we still preach the gospel, we still plant that word because we don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in that moment. And maybe... And this is what I think I have a hard time communicating, uh, is that we might not be the person who sees the fruit, right? We still have a responsibility to share the gospel as we have experienced it. And this doesn't necessarily mean, you know, getting up and teaching uh, an RCIA class. It means living a life that, that provokes the questions in the other person. They may not ask you, but if you've provoked the question, it may give them the courage to ask further down the road.
1: Right. And and how many times has it happened? I'm sure to many of us, all of us, it's happened where someone will say to us, you know that letter that you sent me, that note or that phone call or that prayer that you offered for me? You have no idea what that meant. You know, mm-hmm. that that just changed I don't know changed whatever changed my day. It really just changed my attitude on life. And someone was just telling me the other day that they hadn't seen someone in church. Um, for a while, even after the pandemic and everything, and just thought, you know what, I'm just going to call that person and see how they're doing, you know, and so just called and, and yeah, that person said, you know, I am going through a rough time, but thank you. And hey, you want to get together? And they did, you know, and had a long lunch and everything. And then that person got a, um, a letter actually from that person a week later and said, you have no idea. I was actually contemplating taking my life mm-hmm. as right before you called. Um, but you, your call literally saved my life. Now that's very dramatic, but nonetheless, you're right. We don't know what a little something could be just a prayer or, 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 a, a, someone seeing us pray, you know, like a family huddled together, praying grace in a restaurant, signing themselves and just praying. I've had so many people say that just inspired me. I saw a family praying and, and I thought, wow, there is hope in the world, you know, So you're, you're right. Exactly right. It's, it's, God's doing great things in us. We don't have to be worried about the, um, the, the, the results. I forgot. What did someone say? Someone, a priest says that, that I'm in, I'm in sales and not marketing. I'm in
0: marketing. Anyway,
1: something like that, like God, let God figure it out. But we just, we just, we we try to be faithful.
0: Well, and, and St. Teresa of Calcutta said famously, uh, I'm, how how are you going to get these results? I mean, you're not, you can't succeed. And she says, I haven't been called to succeed. I've been called to be faithful
1: right absolutely yes and so if we're attentive to that you know just 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 do things you know even small things that's that's what this this letter calls people to do it so many people say well i don't know the bible well enough i don't know the catechism i'm not the best i i I get nervous speaking in front of people And so when they hear the word, you know, evangelization, that's what they think about. And they say, that's not for me. That's for priests, religious, catechists, you know, teachers. But no, it is through in very small ways as well as those things, you know, just just by offering to pray with someone um, or asking someone, you know, where is God in your life now? You know, or can you tell me a moment, uh, tell me a time in your life when you felt really close to God? Almost everyone will think for a while and they'll say, yeah, you know in college when i was really lost you know i just i prayed and i just felt like i was the closest i haven't prayed like probably in 30 years but this is not me personally you right. know but they might say that and um, and that's just a little opening right there so i try to give people the tools they 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 can use to to do this
0: you bring up an interesting point here that we very often uh, the the people in the pews conflate evangelization with apologetics with catechesis and those are really three distinct categories uh, and evangelization is, is really just the outpouring of, of our own encounter with God. It's like, it's like the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well who did not know the scriptures, and yet she had a, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ who, come and see the man who told me everything about me, right? And that's what it was. She had an encounter, she was excited about it, and she went to go and get the others. And, and this is evangelization. To, to take that experience... And invite other people into that experience. And you bring up in your letter, uh, again, the letter is Share the Gift. It's from the a pastoral letter from the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. Um, in your letter, you talk about the importance of that connection to Christ. The love of Christ compels us, it has to start with that encounter. Otherwise, it's empty and it doesn't actually have the power to do what it needs to do.
1: I like that, that you brought up the woman at the well, and I'm kind of, darn, I'm thinking I should have put her in the uh, letter. That's the perfect example, because I think that's how we should live, you know, that uh, you're right, you're absolutely right. Not only was she not well versed in the scriptures or anything, as far as we know, but it had just happened. She just had this encounter with Jesus. And there's that very telling thing where she goes and preaches or tells everyone about this man who changed my life, who knows everything about me but then later on they they invite Jesus in right so that yeah. it worked and then they say to her I love that line we now know for ourselves not just because you told us but mm-hmm. we now know that this is the one we're, we've been waiting for and so I love that and the other thing that I quote is um in in the in the letter is my new favorite one of my new favorite biblical quotes, Zechariah, comes from 823. Now, not many people quote Zechariah. You don't often hear people say that I never did before. But there's just this great line in this uh, in 823 in Zechariah, where the prophet who's living in a time not unlike our own, a lot of confusion, a lot of some hopelessness and despair, and yet he's looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And he said, The days are coming when behold. 10 people from every nation will grab hold of, yes, grab hold of every Jew by the shirt and say, take me with you for I know that God is with you. Wow. Now, if, if we could live in such a way where, you know, people around us would just say, I don't know what it is about you, but I want that. You know, you have hope, you have that, that joy that, that's so lacking in the world. And it's not a false like, oh, just smile, everything will be fine. Not at all. It's rooted in the cross. It's rooted in what we're going through, but it points beyond that to what is sure to come. And so I, I, I love that. Yeah, evangelization is not the same as catechesis or apologetics. It can include that, of course, but it's it's also just living in a way that, that where, where people are attracted to that and they, they want what we have. They see Christ in us, frankly.
0: Bishop Walk, my listeners are far too familiar with this phrase because I say it far too often. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. But you can't give an answer if there is no question. So go out and live a questionable life, right? So we, we have to go live that life that that provokes the questions. And some of that happens when we choose to live according to different categories in the world. Um, to find our, our success and define our success differently than the rest of the world, to be generous in a different way, to to be abandoned to the divine providence of God uh, and and not just always trying to micromanage our lives and make everything turn out just all right. to be open and listening to the Holy Spirit, to listen to those nudges to write that extra letter to that person around the corner and to in some way, always be, connected to the vine he's the vine we're the branches and to pull our entire life our entire identity from that connection rather than having this be oh well you know i'm catholic i go to mass on on sundays and and uh you know do a couple of the holy days of obligation midweek and that you know and then and then i but but i am this other thing i am a broker i am uh a a mechanic. I am a father. I am whatever else. Um, rather to say, no, I am a Catholic. I'm connected to Christ in this way. And everything about my identity and my life comes from that fact.
1: I like how you said that too, about, um, not tying our emotions or how we're doing to a certain outcome, you know, or expecting, cause that's where we are in the world. It's almost binary. You know, it's, you either have it or you don't, you're, you're with us or you're against us you know, you're a good Catholic or you're a horrible Catholic or whatever. Um, not tying our, our, our just how we're feeling or, or, our faith, especially to things like that, or whether we succeed in life or not. Um, and a great example of that is uh, for me anyway, in my life, I'll never forget it for eight years, seven years. I'm sorry. I worked as a director of soup kitchen, in Phoenix and, um, uh, house of hospitality, Catholic worker house there. And, uh, I, I just loved it every, every day I would ask people like, how are you doing now? These are most of our guests. Lived in bushes or, or in cardboard boxes or right against our building, you know, for safety or something like that. Um, they had, they were, you know, drug addicts, prostitutes, living in poverty and everything. And yet, you know, at the beginning, I'd be like, "How are you doing?" And I'd expect them to say, "Pretty bad," you know. Obviously, right. look around. But many, if not most of them, would say, "I'm blessed, chaplain." And you know, at, at the beginning, I almost wanted to say, "You are not blessed." Look at <laughs> you. You know what I mean? I mean, it's horrible. Um, I had to learn. Of course, I didn't. But inside, I'm like, really? She feels blessed. Look at she's living where she's living. But, um, but that I learned a lot from that. You know, it's like, wow. Of course, regardless of what we see, touch, taste here and smell around us, it's we're blessed. We are chosen by God. I love that reading from uh, the passage from one John. You know, see what love the Father's bestowed on us in letting us be called children of God. Yet so we are. I mean, period. There you go. Just. That is is the joy that we need to to recapture and, and delight in. Um, so, yeah. And then and something, I guess, um, I was trying to think of a more, uh, not a modern thing, but an updated thing. Uh, I was talking to someone recently who I knew was going through an extremely difficult time. And I said, how are you doing? You know, we do that, like, ah, how are you doing? And she said, Bishop, I am the daughter of the king. I, you know, I, we don't use that in Catholic language, really. She's, um, she's a, a, a Christian in another denomination, but I love that. It just kind of woke me up and she said, I have great dignity. I I'm, I'm one of the King's daughters. And I thought, wow, that's wow. I, imagine if we just really had that, if we remembered that we are a son or a daughter of God, you know, child of God, that would, it wouldn't change the fact that we're still going through all this stuff in the world. We were confronted with problems out there and within us temptations and sin and problems in our families and workplaces but it certainly does remind us that of our great dignity and how all this ends this ends in glory that helps us to get through all of this
0: i'm reminded of um of the the really popular bible verse you see it on plaques and everything then hobby lobby it's um i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and Uh, People take that to mean, oh, you know what? We're going to succeed. I'm going to be a champion because I can do all things. I can overcome this thing and and look, life is going to turn out all right because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But this is the tail end of a longer passage where Paul is saying, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether well-provided for or in lack. I can do all things. Both of these scenarios through Christ who strengthens me, and I think that that's something for us to be able to go out and to evangelize. We first have to encounter Christ and encounter the sufficiency of Christ. That I really can, if everything goes wrong, if my candidate doesn't uh, get elected, if my if uh, if some uh, law gets struck down, if whatever happens, if it's absolutely devastating by the way the world looks at success, I can still be content. In trusting that God has got the outcome and I'm not responsible for the outcome and me worrying about this or my life is not going to add a single hair to my head or a single day of an hour of my day. I have to turn this over and rely on divine providence and say, God, you're King. This is your world. (laughs) This is your church. And just let me do my part. I can be content. You know,
1: I know people are aware of uh, the famous quote from uh, Pope St. John the 23rd, you know, when he, he was just agonizing over something in the church, maybe all things, who knows yeah. back then. and But he said, you know, God, it's your church. I'm going to bed. And I've actually said that out loud now a lot <laughs> as a bishop. But, um, but another thing is, uh, you know, we have a great treasure with so many treasures in our church with the saints and, and theologians and people who have gone before us. But one of the ones a lot of people know about him, but not many know of his spirituality, St. Ignatius of Loyola. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in the congregation of Holy Cross, and we kind of have a fun rivalry with the Jesuits, you know, Holy Cross and Jesuits. But so I didn't really know a lot about his spirituality until I did a retreat, a 30-day retreat called the Spiritual Exercises, and really came to appreciate one of his, St. Ignatius's greatest gifts, and that is this attitude of indifference, you know, for lack of a better word. He said, I like you said, you know, I could be well fed. I could uh, go for uh, be hungry. You know, I could be rich. I could be poor. I could be healthy. I could be sick. I could live a long life. I could live a short one. I don't prefer either one. He said, which is really interesting, Mm -hmm. but only to do the will of God, you know, through that and to trust in God. And that that's not easy because all of us pray for health, long life, Money, you know, things like that. We pray for these things, but he's saying, I don't pray for either. It could be if I'm rich, okay. If I'm poor, okay. But what is constant is God's love for me.
0: How much more at peace would we all be if we followed that example of the saints, followed that call of Christ to seek first the kingdom of let everything else just kind of. Fall where at bay, trusting in his divine providence. We're talking today with Bishop William A. Walk of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, about his new pastoral letter called Share the Gift, a lovely meditation on evangelization that you can find at their website, ptdiocese.org. Come over to social media and join the ongoing conversation. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Come share your thoughts and then stick around because there's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We have the great pleasure of talking today with Bishop Bill, Bishop William A. Walk, born and raised in South Bend, Indiana, now the, uh, the, the sixth bishop of the Diocese of... Uh, Pensacola, Tallahassee. We're talking about his new pastoral letter, which you can get on their website. The website is ptdiocese.org. Uh, it's the first big picture, lovely stained glass window uh, picture at the top of the website. You click the button, and there you can read the pastoral letter called Share the Gift. Uh, this pastoral letter on evangelization, specifically for the people of his diocese, but certainly really well worth your time to read. It's very short. You download the PDF and it's like, oh, it's 20 pages, but there's beautiful pictures and and it's really it's not 20 pages. You can you can do this. I did it in maybe 30 minutes and I know that you can do the same. It's a lovely reflection on evangelization and I want to take that reflection and maybe project it against our uh, liturgical season that we're just about to enter into. Um, we're coming up on the final uh not not this week but next week, the final uh Sunday in ordinary time, which is always the solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the universe, where we uh acknowledge that hope that we have that that Bishop you talked about earlier that in the end Christ is the victor, right and we <laughs> can't wait because we're going to sing Christ Jesus Victor uh and it's the best hymn ever um but then immediately following that, we reset and we begin the church calendar, the liturgical calendar over and enter into Advent, which is a preparatory time, not for Christmas, as some people often say. It's uh, The first two weeks are actually a preparation for the eschaton, for the second coming of Christ. And then we spend a couple of weeks preparing for Christmas. But this idea of encountering Christ and knowing Christ as king of the universe— and then moving into preparation mode is really a beautiful picture for what you're talking about in your letter of starting with this encounter and this realization of life in Christ and moving from there into an invitational and a preparatory phase to bring the rest of the world into that same place.
1: As we read in the book of Revelation, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And um, so that's just perfect as we, you know, that, that's, we, the Feast of Christ the King, Solemnity of Christ King is the end of the church year, and then the next next day we begin a new one. And, and, and through it all, Jesus Christ is King. I love how the year kind of dovetails into the next. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were talking about the end times, the second coming, you know, the the, the great judgment and all of that. And you'd think that on the first Sunday of Advent, okay, now we're focused on the baby Jesus. Nope, we're still there (laughs) talking about the end times, say the eschaton and everything. And that's really good. And then, you know, it's it's kind of a not so subtle subtle shift to focusing on um, John the Baptist, on the prophecies of Isaiah, you know, the birth of the Lord and Mary then and then uh, the birth of the Lord on the on, uh, feast of Christmas. And, um, but through it all, this is important to remember that Jesus Christ is King. I love that the last Sunday in ordinary time is Christ the King Sunday, because that, 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 that you think, oh yeah, everything we've done before this and everything we'll do after really falls under, under the patronage of Christ our King. Now, why is that important? Again, it's, it's, we're not so used to using that, that title, especially in the United States. We threw off the King, you know, right. we, we don't have a King. We have a president who, you know, and, and, I studied government in school, and we talked about how we're moving toward the president having more of that 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 authority. But in this country, we we don't want a king. We want balance of power and everything. And uh, but but it's a good thing on on which we can meditate. Christ is the king of my life. He's the king of my family. He should be the king of my decisions. And that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It it, it takes a lot of that pressure off of us to solve everything. No, it's his church. It's his world. He's the king of this. We need to to kind of give him that authority. Not, not that he needs our, our permission, right. but, you know, it, we do. And, and let him say, Lord, direct me, rule over my decisions and my family and my life right now. Um, it helps to remind us that who's in charge. It's, it's God and it's not us.
0: Well, and th- this... This has always been the promise of God from from the very moment of creation when he created Adam and Eve and walked with them in the cool of the day to the exodus where he guides them by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and and communes with them. You'll be my people and I will be your God and I will dwell among you. This is the promise all throughout the Old Testament fulfilled in the incarnation with, with the coming of Jesus Christ. God made man uh the, the gospel even tells us his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the the ascension into heaven uh doesn't change any of that reality because he says it's better for you that I go away because I'll send the advocate, I'll send the paraclete. And so now the presence of God is not localized in a in a single person. Now it is present to us to the whole church and to the the whole church on all the altars as we have the Mass and have this deep communion with Christ uh, in in a very personal way, but I think often we we don't think that that promise of God with us, that incarnational promise, applies to us today in the same way that it applied before, and, and I think that we have to reclaim that understanding of what it means to be an incarnational church, for God to be with us, so that we can just naturally— uh, move into evangelization from that point. I think evangelization is the natural result of that understanding and realization that, that God is still with us.
1: That's right. In the first letter of John, again, it starts with that we preach what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched with our own hands. Uh, this is not just a, a, a spiritual reality that or a theory that we're, we're preaching. It's, it's something very real. I, I like what you said, incarnational, you know, carne, meat. I remind people that that's where that comes from. If you know yeah. Spanish, you know, carne is meat and flesh. It sounds kind of weird to say that Jesus became meat, became flesh, but that's exactly what he did so that he could be with us. And when he was here, it was important to him to touch and rub mud on the blind man's eyes yeah. and, you know, uh, touch the tongue of those of one who was mute and put his hand on the little girl and say, get up, rise from the dead. Yeah. Um, and so and, and that's what he's calling us to do, to be that uh, embodiment of the faith for people in very real ways.
0: Well, and that's something, you know, that's what the sacraments are for us. This is that reminder that we are physical beings and God is not just bringing us His him, himself in a spiritual or ethereal way. He's meeting us in matter, um, whether that be through the oil of baptism or confirmation, through the water, through the, the, the elements of the host, the bread and the wine. Um, turned into becoming the body and blood of Christ, or whether it be through the voice and the presence of the priest in the confessional, that we live in incarnational faith and these sacraments, the sacramental life is available to us in a very tangible way.
1: We have an opportunity for that as we move into or contemplate moving into advent you know to really think about what that is it's 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 as you said it's a very it's a moment in time when uh, the word became flesh when mary said yes but you know, and we'll we'll be given an opportunity to focus on that uh, on the third Sunday, I believe, of mm-hmm. Advent. You know, on the Annunciation, and uh, to, you've heard that so mm-hmm. often—that story, of course—in the in the Gospel of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. And you can just rehearse it. You know, you hear the right. first line, you think, "Oh yeah, I know this one. I don't have to listen." But just think about it, contemplate, spend some time this Advent in front of the tree, in front of the nativity scene, just. I mean, just let yourself imagine this. It, it, You can't, no one can understand this. God who dwells in highest heaven and is in, invisible, you know, eternal, immortal, became flesh and blood like us so that we, flesh and blood, could become like God. I mean, it, it sounds so dramatic. I think Augustine's way is, is even more, his line is more dramatic. I always want to soften it because it almost sounds heretical. God became man so that man could become God. Mm-hmm. And I always want to add, man could become like God, you know, because it sounds a little more pal- palatable, but that's what he said, you know, God became one of us so that we could become God, you know, it, participate in his life. God right. has promised that from the beginning. God has desired that for us and God has fulfilled that in his son, Jesus Christ.
0: Well, and, and this idea of connected to the vine, we are, he is the vine. We are the branches, the life of the branch Comes from the vine, and and Peter says in his epistles, uh, we become sharers in the divine nature. You know, one of, uh, there's I don't even remember who it is, but one of the church fathers talks about um, that Christ becoming man is as much to redeem the the nature of humanity as it is to redeem each one of us individually. That now, now the human nature is able to dwell in in union in. Uh, in his case in hypostasis with the divine nature and so now the natures are compatible so that we can be sharers in his life just as he was sharers
1: in ours right and just just the more we contemplate that the more we think about that that should elevate us it should lift us up again i need to say i've been accused of being pollyanna you know being too optimistic it's just my nature but I need to say this, I not we're not saying that you know you just focus on that. It's the pie in the sky when we die type of stuff, not at all. But uh, Pope Meredith Benedict did this, he really um, kind of opened this up for me very well with that, this very curious uh, verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 11:1, Faith is the evidence of things not seen, um, uh, the assurance of things that are hoped for. What? <laughs> How is that true? Faith is evidence of something you don't see. But Pope Emeritus Benedict really opened it up. He's a great theologian. He said, you know, what that means is you long for it. We hope for it. We, and it's not just a wish. It's an expectation. We expect it so much that it actually, that longing draws us there to heaven. You know, that's what faith is all about. And all of a sudden, when I read that, I thought, wow, that makes sense, I guess. So we really need to build up that hope and that faith because that's what is saving us. Jesus said, your faith has saved you, yeah. you know? And so that's what it means.
0: We, we often um, look at evangelization and we get intimidated by the word. And I think the, the reason that we get intimidated by it is because we think of it as something we have to do. And if we're going to do it, we want to do it well. Um, but I think that this is the wrong, maybe the wrong tack to take because I think of evangelization more as when you go to the doctor and they hit your knee with a hammer and you have that reflex, Evangelization is the reflex of the person who has encountered God. And, and so for us, it's a matter of—in you. you in your letter, you talk about—and um, again, your letter is uh, Share the Gift. It's for it's a pastoral letter for the people of uh, Pensacola, Tallahassee, uh, but it's for all of us. Um, in the letter, you talk about uh, the love of Christ compels us. Of course, this is something from St. Paul. Um, the love of Christ urges us on— I think this is an opportunity for us to evaluate. Why do we do the things that we do in the church? Why do we have uh, Catholic worker houses? Why do we have hospitals? Why do we uh, do adoption uh, agencies? Why do we advocate for anything at all? Why do we uh, invest in political advocacy If it's for any reason other than the love of Christ, if it's this desire to be right or to impose morality or any of these other things, it's going to bring frustration on us and it's going to ultimately end in failure. If we, on the other hand, are so just really enlivened by the divine life within us, if we are encountering the love of God in a profound way and we are compelled by that action— then no matter what our response is in that way, it's not going to be a failure because it's going to be a movement of the divine will.
1: Yep. And you know what? We that evangelization, as you said, is that, and it's it's simply sharing our experience with that. You know, you don't have to convince people, you don't have to memorize the Bible or the catechism, you know, or all that, or, or really be the best apologetic the best person you studied in apologetics, but just share what, what you have done. And that's rooted in the Bible. You know, when Jesus would heal someone, remember he healed someone, and he said, well, Lord, let me follow you. He said, no, go home now and tell, tell people what you have seen, what's yeah. happened to you. That's evangelization. When you just share, you, you say, I, I, yeah, I can't explain everything in the church, the teachings, but I know for me, the church is my home. And, and, it's not perfect, but neither am I. And I need it. I need, I need to be forgiven. I need to be strengthened. And I hope the church will help me to usher me into eternal life when I die.
0: You know, we, we're all actually very skilled at evangelization. And when we see a movie that we like, or we go to a restaurant that just really wows us, we, just by the nature of who we are, we go out and say, "Oh, I, you got to hear about this thing that I saw or this place that I ate, and you have to experience it too. And I won't be really satisfied until you go and you agree with me, <laughs> right?" And we do that just again as a as a, a response, as a um, a reflex to that encounter and that experience. And so we have to we just have to think about our encounter with Christ in the same way. If it fills us with that kind of joy, it ought to be a reflexive sharing in that way.
1: That's right. You know, we do that already. I love that you said that. And I heard that recently and it just made me laugh, but it's true. Restaurants have evangelizers, you know, Uh, people will say, and you and I have said, oh, you've got to go to this place. I mean, it's just it's it's great atmosphere. Uh, The menu's great. Oh my gosh! And the, the tiramisu—you are you're not going <laughs> to believe that when you have that. You know, we don't say, "Well, I haven't memorized the menu. I don't know the manager personally, so I'm not really qualified to do it." No, we just say, "I love this place. You got to go." So we should apply the same thing to our faith. You know, instead of saying, "I haven't memorized the Bible. I'm not really a good speaker." I don't. You know, just share what you know and what it means to you.
0: A number of years ago, someone asked me uh, to talk about. Um, the sacrament of confession and why Catholics go and do this thing. And I, I sat down and I started to write this response letter to him and it was turning into this treatise. And I was like all of these layers. Well, if I'm going to talk about that, I've got to go and I've got to talk about why we, what we believe interpret this specific passage of scripture. And, and it just turned into this big mess that became overwhelming. And the Holy spirit kind of knocked on my head and said, yeah, but why do you go to confession? It's like, Oh, well, that's a different story this is why I stand in line. This is what I experience. This is the hope that I receive from the sacrament. And that's all that's required. It doesn't, if, if it's getting overwhelming for you, then you're moving into something outside of the realm of evangelization because evangelization is that natural urge and response to just share our story and our experience.
1: Very well said. Yes. That you just summed up that letter, my, my pastoral letter my hope for our diocese and the world.
0: But you should still go read it. You can find it on ptdiocese.org. The letter is Share the Gift from Bishop William A. Walk of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, who's been joining us today. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk with us.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you, and may God bless you and all of our listeners today.
0: If you missed any part of my conversation with Bishop Walk, or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. All seven years worth of conversations are there available for you to peruse through and listen and enjoy over and over again. I can't believe that we are now seven years in, uh, and it's just been such a pleasure to have these conversations with you week in and week out. I can't thank enough. Those uh, at St. Michael Catholic radio who gave me my start uh, over at uh, Oklahoma Catholic radio, Iowa Catholic radio, and now also the listeners over at Redeemer radio. Uh, It's just been such a pleasure. And I look forward to many years of continued conversations to come. Now we also would be remiss if we didn't thank our Patreon support community. Uh, that's the group of people who give just a small amount each month so that we can continue to meet the costs of what it takes to put the show on the air. Uh, and in gratitude, we give them a little bit extra. Each week, there's an extra segment with our guest where we uh, we go off script a little bit and have a little bit of fun. Uh, if you want to learn more about that over at outsidethewalls.com there's a link up in the top right hand corner of the page that says patreon hyphen support the show click that link learn more about it and join their numbers now let's turn our attention to our reading from scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the scriptures and connecting it to the catechism and documents of the church, encyclicals, so much more, puts it right at your fingertips. You can learn more by going to verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We talked about this a little bit earlier with Bishop Walk, and I wanted to revisit it today because, as, as we mentioned in the conversation, sometimes we're so familiar with, with the cadence or the words of the Scripture, we don't take time to listen to what's actually being said. So this comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. And I tell you, this is something that is a, an incredibly difficult lesson to learn. It's one that I have learned time after time after time again. And I kind of, every time I see it back on the horizon, I'm like, God, didn't we already do this lesson? Aren't we finished with this? But no, every day is new. And every day he wants us to trust in his sufficiency, not worried about the latest uh, hubbub in the news or the latest concern on the horizon. He says, no, no, no. Don't be anxious about these things. Rather, seek first the kingdom. All these other things are going to take care of themselves. Seek first the kingdom. And as we do that in joy, which we're just about to hear from St. Augustine, if we do that in joy and, and not in anxiety, then the peace of Christ, which passes understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And we will be, just by the nature of being a joyful people, we will be, evangelizing because people will look at us and they, they see what's on the horizon. They see the things that cause them anxiety. And when we are a people of peace and a people at peace, that in and of itself is going to capture attention and hearts and minds. Lord, may it be so with us. Our reading today from church history comes from uh, this beautiful, the last, last thing, right at the end of the year in the breviary, this beautiful sermon by St. Augustine. Let us sing Alleluia here on earth while we still live in anxiety, so that we may sing it one day in heaven in full security. Why do we now live in anxiety? Can you expect me not to feel anxious when I read, Is not man's life on earth a time of trial? Can you expect me not to feel anxious when the words still ring in my ears? Watch and pray that you will not be put to the test. Can you can you expect me not to feel anxious when there are so many temptations here below that prayer itself reminds us of them when we say forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us Every day we make our petitions Every day we sin Do you want me to feel secure when I am asking daily pardon for my sins and requesting help in time of trial Because of my past sins, I pray, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then, because of the perils still before me, I immediately go on to add, lead us not into temptation. How can all be well with people who are crying out with me, deliver us from evil? And yet, brothers, while we are still in the midst of this evil, Let us sing Alleluia to the good God who delivers us from evil. Even here, amidst the trials and temptations, let us, let all men sing Alleluia. God is faithful, says Holy Scripture, and he will not allow you to be tried beyond your strength. So let us sing Alleluia here on earth. Man is still a debtor, but God is faithful. Scripture does not say he will not allow you to be tried, but that he will not allow you to be tried beyond your strength. Whatever the trial, he will see you through it safely and so enable you to endure. You have entered upon a time of trial, but you will come to no harm. God's help will bring you through it safely. You are like a piece of pottery shaped by instruction, fired by tribulation, When you are put in the oven, therefore, keep your thoughts on the time when you will be taken out again. God is faithful, and he will guard both your going in and your coming out. But in the next life, when this body of ours has become immortal and incorruptible, then all trials will be over. Your body is indeed dead, and why? Because of sin. Nevertheless, your spirit lives because you have been justified. Are we to leave our dead bodies behind then? By no means. Listen to the words of Holy Scripture. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells within you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your own mortal bodies. At present, your body receives its life from the soul, but then it will receive it from the spirit. Oh, the happiness of heaven. Alleluia. Sung in security and fear of no adversity. We shall have no enemies in heaven. We shall never lose a friend. God's praises are sung both there and here. But here they are sung in anxiety, there in security. Here they are sung by those destined to die, there by those destined to live forever. Here they are sung in hope, there in hope's fulfillment. Here they are sung by wayfarers, there by those living in their own country, So then, my brothers, let us sing now, not in order to enjoy a life of leisure, but in order to lighten our labors. You should sing as wayfarers do. Sing, but continue on your journey. Do not be lazy, but sing to make your journey more enjoyable. Sing, but keep going. What do I mean by keep going? Keep on making progress. This progress, however, must be in virtue. For there are some, the apostle warns, whose only progress is in vice. If you make progress, you will be continuing your journey. But be sure that your progress is in virtue, true faith, and right living. Sing then, but keep going. That reading comes from a homily by St. Augustine, and that is our call. Sing, hallelujah, be joyful, and joyful in hope for all these things that are around us, these things are passing away. These things will not last, but there is something that will last and we trust in his promise. We trust in his providence. We trust that he will be with us and that urged on by his love, filled with joy, we will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for these seven years. I look forward to seven more and many more beyond that. Today's show is brought to you by all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.